Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. I'm Joshua Fields Milburn, and Ryan Nicodemus is not here today. He is really sick, like really, really sick and contagious. He went to the doctor this week uh, and and found out that he shouldn't show up and record this podcast with me because he would get me and our fearless producer, Sean Harding, sick as well. So it's just Sean behind the board and me behind the microphone. We originally were going to talk today about mental clutter, but we're not going to talk about that. I want to save that because Ryan has a lot of awesome thoughts on, on mental clutter. And instead, because Ryan is sick, I wanted to talk about health. I thought, what a perfect time to talk about this subject because health is a thing that we take for granted until we hit some sort of roadblock. And I know personally because uh, in 2014, so a couple of years ago, Ryan and I donated a year of our lives. We spent all of 2014 going to eight countries, 100 different cities, 119 events, and, and spreading this simple living message. But when we did, when we got back, man, my back was just killing me. And I already had a bad back previously, but I've had a lot of issues since uh, being on that tour and, and being hit with a pinched nerve. I have what's called spondylolisthesis and spondylolysis, which basically just means I have a, a broken um, L5 vertebrae and it's pushed forward and, and that is pinching a nerve. And so I've spent the last year really, really focused on my health in a different way from how I was focused on it before, because it used to be when I was back in the corporate world, I, had to foc- I wasn't focused on my health and I was fat. I weighed 80 pounds more than I weigh now at one point. And I was eating like crap. I felt like crap. And it just spread to every other area of my life. But eventually, I took control of my diet and exercise. And so we have a lot of questions I want to answer about diet and exercise today. But it goes beyond just the the diet and exercise. The main barometer is how do I feel? Because if we're feeling outstanding, that is also going to bleed over into every other area of our lives. And so today, I want to talk to you about health. I want to talk to you about diet, exercise, and maybe a few other things, and really how I was able to change my life and what I try to focus on now as I go forward. And especially when I hit one of these hurdles, one of these these roadblocks, what do I do to try to continue to constantly improve? Before we get to our voicemail questions, uh, just a quick update. Ryan and I are hitting the road next month. As many of you know, we have a documentary coming out. It's called Minimal a documentary about the important things. It hits theaters in the United States on May 24th, 2016. But before that, Ryan and I are going to a a dozen or so cities to spread this simple living message. We're bringing a live version of this podcast on the road with us, as well as screening the documentary in a bunch of cities. Uh, most of these cities are sold out, but there are still tickets in a few cities. You can go to theminimalists.com slash tour for details. We're going to be in New York, Boston, D.C., Miami, Dallas, Dayton, Seattle, San Francisco, 
L.A., Salt Lake City, back here in Missoula, Montana. And then we're going to finish the tour in Toronto, Canada. But even if we're not coming to your city or even if your city is sold out, don't worry. You can find the theater closest to you. So Ryan and I will still be on the big screen there in in your town, in your suburb, in your city. Just go to minimalismfilm.com, click on See the Film, and find the theater closest to you. And if you are an international person listening to this, so if you're in Canada or Australia or Brazil or UK or somewhere else, you know what? Don't worry. International details coming very soon. Just make sure you're subscribed to our email list over at theminimalists.com. Type your email address up top, and we will make sure we keep you abreast of our international release situation. Don't worry, we will never, ever, ever send you spam because spam is disgusting. All right, let's listen to our first voicemail. In fact, I'm just going to play all of these sort of in a row here, and that way I can riff on all of them. Now, keep in mind, uh, Ryan and I got probably dozens of voicemails, so if we didn't select yours, I'm sorry. Don't, don't think we didn't listen to it. It's just many of these questions about health, diet, exercise, etc., they, they tend to be fairly similar. So here's four or five voicemails. We'll go through them, and then I'll recap afterward, and we'll, we'll talk about each one and try to to dissect each question and give them an appropriate answer. Our first question is from Alston in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. So I'm curious if you guys focus on certain supplements or if you eat the same meals over and over to make it easier for yourself. What kind of meal prep you do, fitness routines that you might incorporate into your day. Here's a question from Emily in Hershey, Pennsylvania. So I was wondering if minimalism has changed the way you have been eating or changed your diet in any way. And Mandy from Mississippi has the next question. I had heard you mention in previous podcasts, little snippets that you were um, a minimalist with food. And I'm just curious about your thoughts on that, but also how that looked for you personally as you transitioned to more of a minimalist lifestyle with eating. Here's another question from Misty in Alberta, Canada. I was looking for some advice on having a more minimalist diet. I find I'm close to minimalist and content in other areas of my life. But when I buy consumables, mostly food, I overspend. It's starting to create stress in my life and recently with the rise of food costs, it's becoming harder to afford to feed my harder to afford my toddler's picky diet. Our last question comes from Rochelle in Bakersfield, California. I was calling today to ask about your health regimen, both um, how you keep yourself healthy, for example, running, lifting weight, um, et cetera, et cetera, also um, food consumption, how you make sure to eat uh, the healthiest food options and do all of this um, on a budget. All right, as y'all can see, there's probably a few common themes here. And I'll start with Alston. He asked about supplements that we use, and I hope to get to that in a minute. But he also talked about fitness, and I think that was an underlying theme with many of the other voicemails we didn't play. It had to do with, with fitness. Now, no one's going to accuse me of being the most physically fit person in the world, but I am relatively fit. I'm in good shape, and I wasn't always that way. In fact, I used to be fat, and I used to not feel good as a result. And so I realized that I had a million excuses to never exercise and to eat like crap all the time, but especially when it came to fitness, when it came to exercise, 
I realized that what most people were doing, what most people prescribed were, were things that I didn't necessarily like. Things like running or, you know, maybe it was a, a sport like rugby or tennis or something. Things that I may not enjoy. And I learned that I needed to do something that was relatively simple and I need, needed to do only exercises that I could enjoy over a longer period of time. And I also needed to be able to do it in a relatively attenuated time frame to make sure that I could do it every single day. And then, of course, if I had more time throughout the day, I could expand that uh, as the day went on. And so uh, I'm going to send each of these uh, voicemails that we use, so Alston, Emily, Mandy, Misty, and uh, Rochelle, I'm going to send them each a copy of our book, Essential, which is an essay collection that Ryan and I wrote, 150 different essays on 12 different topics, everything from minimalism to relationships to gift-giving and mindfulness, and there's a chapter in here about health. And so one of the essays in there is about my 18-minute minimalist exercise routine. It goes like this. A few years ago, I couldn't do a single push-up and I certainly couldn't do a pull-up. I hardly exercised at all. And when I did exercise, it was sporadic. It never lasted more than a few days before I gave up. Sound familiar? Even after I shed 70 pounds of fat due mostly to my diet, I was in terrible shape. At age 28, I was doughy, flabby, and weak. But not anymore. In my 30s, I'm in the best shape of my life. I'm in good shape because I've found ways to enjoy exercising. I've found ways to make exercise a daily reward instead of a dreaded task. And I can point to three reasons exercise is now more enjoyable. Number one, I do only exercises I enjoy. I don't enjoy running, so I don't do it. I attempted to to run for about six months and discovered it wasn't for me. In fact, if you see me running, call the police. Someone is chasing me. Instead, I find other ways to do cardio. I walk. I get on the elliptical machine. I do bodyweight exercises that incorporate cardio. Number two, exercise relieves stress. Although I enjoy exercising most in the mornings, I love hitting the gym or the park or my living room in the evenings if I feel tense or stressed. Exercising at the end of a long, stressful day gives me time and solitude to reflect on what's important. Number three, variety keeps exercise fresh. When I first started exercising, I used to hit the gym three times per week, which was certainly better than not exercising at all. Then as I got more serious, I started going to the gym daily. This routine became time-consuming, and doing the same thing over and over eventually caused me to plateau. These days, I mix it up. I walk every single day, and I still hit the gym occasionally. But the thing that has made the biggest, most notable difference has been the variety of my daily 18-minute bodyweight exercises. 18 minutes? I know, 18 minutes sounds like an arbitrary number. That's because it is. 
When I started these bodyweight exercises, I didn't have a specific window of time in mind, but I timed myself for a week and discovered that almost every time I hit the park for my exercises, I was worn out within 18 minutes. Thus, these are my 18-minute exercises, all of which you can do in your living room, outdoors, or just about anywhere. I usually alternate between the following exercises. You can, of course, pepper in your own favorites. And yes, these exercises are suitable for both men and women. Number one, push-ups. Like I said, a few years ago, I couldn't do a single push-up. Eventually, I could do one after trying modified push-ups for a while. And after a while, I could do 10 and then 20. Now I can do 50 to 100 in a row, and I tend to do three to five sets, resulting in about 200 to 400 push-ups within my 18 minutes. Number two, pull-ups. Two years ago, I thought I'd never be able to do a single pull-up. Eventually, I learned how to do one with some help from a friend. Soon, two, and then four. Now I can do 10 to 15 in a row. I complete three to four sets, resulting in about 50 pull-ups within my 18 minutes. I use the monkey bars at a park. You can use a pull-up bar at home. A friend of mine uses tree branches. I hated pull-ups because they seemed impossible at first. But now, it's my favorite exercise. Finally, squats. I do three to four sets of 30 squats right now, and I continue to work my way up. And as I continue to work my way up, I continue to grow. I don't have a specific routine or plan. I simply take a 30-second break between sets, bouncing from one exercise to the next. After 18 minutes, I am spent. And I feel great afterwards. I get that wonderful, tired, but accomplished feeling you get after a great workout. What used to be tedious is now exhilarating. All right, so let me talk about that. Let me just expand on that really quickly. You know, I found myself... When I was going to the gym constantly, especially when I was busy in the corporate world, I would make up an excuse like, oh, I'm just gonna have to drive to the gym and I have to find a parking space and I have to change into my gym clothes and then when I leave, I have to shower and change. And I had, you know, 15 different steps in order to make it to my exercise routine. And now I have 18 minutes. Whenever I have 18 minutes, if it's in the morning, if it's in the evening, whenever, in fact, occasionally I'll do it twice a day sometimes even three times a day. And, and I find that, well, if I were to do only this, yes, I would plateau, but I would have a base level of physical fitness that I otherwise would not have. And so if I start with this as a base level, 18 minutes a day, base level physical fitness, then everything else I do on top of it, whether it's I walk five to 10 miles in a day, which is about what I do on average, or if I decide to go to the gym and get some extra cardio in, or maybe even lift some weights or whatever, that's on top of my baseline. And that really helps me grow. And I think everyone has uh, this 18 minutes a day to really focus on, on their health. And so what I would encourage you to do is figure out, you know, what is right for me? Is it just these simple body weight exercises, push-ups, pull-up squats? Now, keep in mind, I seriously, so I couldn't do a single push-up. I couldn't do a pull-up for the longest time. Ryan would help me. He would come over and he would hold my ankles as I lifted myself up, assisted pull-up. Now, a lot of gyms also have the assisted pull-up machine, so you, you can have a machine assist you as well. And uh, same with squats. I was terrible with squats, and I, I still don't love doing squats, but uh, I do enjoy the way they make me feel afterwards. So if I really bust my ass for the next uh, 18 minutes, 
man, do I feel worn out, but I feel really great. In fact, I've been incorporating something different into my life recently. Uh, This year, I don't allow myself to eat during the day until I've done my 18-minute exercises. And so I I do something called intermittent fasting, which we'll talk about in a second as we're talking about diet. But uh, because I... I won't allow myself to have my first meal until my exercises are done, and that way I can't get out of it because I have to eat at some point during the day. I mean, I guess maybe I could fast for a day or two, but eventually I'm going to have to do those exercises if I want to eat. And here's the cool thing. It's like it's not like, yeah, but I'll just go ahead and eat, and then I'll go and do my exercises. No, that that usually doesn't work out very well. Get really get really full and then do some, some really heavy exercising. No, I, I find that even when I'm really hungry, I can do these 18 minutes worth of exercises and then I feel even better afterward and that meal feels like an awesome reward. So speaking of meals and, and diet, uh, Emily asked, how has minim- minimalism changed your diet? And Mandy asked, are you now a minimalist with food? And uh, so, yes, I would say I'm a minimalist with food, but it, it may not be what you would think of as a minimalist with food. It doesn't mean that all of my my food is the same color or I eat only one item. No, I try to have a variety of food, but I also uh, limit anything that isn't isn't great for me. And so I wrote an essay about that, uh, about my diet, also in uh, that book, Essential. And it is called A Minimalist's Thoughts on Diet. A few years ago, I was a meat and potatoes kind of guy. And I felt like shit most of the time. I weighed 80 pounds more than I weigh right now. I had stomach problems. I was tired and sluggish. And I lacked the energy necessary to live an active, fulfilling life. Today, my diet is markedly different. And I've never felt more alive. And this is why. Food. My diet today consists mostly of plants and unprocessed foods. I eat in an abundance of vegetables. I'm particularly fond of avocados, spinach, broccoli, and anything green. Not because they taste good, but because these foods make me feel outstanding. I also eat fish, nuts, and seeds most days. My ideal meal looks something like this. A bowl containing a very small portion of white rice, half an avocado, a large piece of grilled salmon, a handful of almonds, and a massive spinach, carrot, cucumber, side salad with almond oil and lemon. And then there are the foods that I avoid. In fact, there are quite a few foods that I've drastically reduced from my diet or completely eliminated altogether. Bread, pasta, sugar, gluten, meat other than fish, bottom-feeding seafood, like lobster, crab, and other garbage men of the sea, Uh, most dairy products, and anything processed or packaged. So uh, just a side note, those those are all the things that I've either radically, radically reduced from my life, uh, dairy being uh, an example there. Occasionally, if cheese is in something, I'm not going to freak out. But I, I've radically reduced or eliminated all of those. And I think the, the biggest impact there was with sugar. 
Um, and just how sugar has crept into everything that we eat now, even the so-called health bars that you see and you, you, look, you look at the package, and you're like, oh my God, there's 18 grams of sugar in this, in this supposedly healthy treat that I'm about to eat. Well, you know, the FDA finally came out with a recommendation of 50 grams a day, which I think most nutritionists, my, my uh, partner, Becca, is a, a dietitian, uh, would tell you that 25 grams is more than enough and, prob- and is probably too much. We want to get as close to zero grams of sugar as we can each day without being so limiting that we are uh, being OCD about it. But uh, your, your average American has well over 100 grams of sugar every single day, and that is a huge problem for us. And I can tell you when I was first, uh, when I was first losing weight, reducing sugar, reducing processed foods, so packaged foods is another way to look at it, and then uh, eliminating gluten altogether. But that was because of some stomach problems that I had, uh, some sensitivities that I've had helped out. I've also eliminated beans, uh, legumes from my diet because, um, again, they just give me, I have problems digesting them. I love the way they taste, and I don't think they're bad for me, except they're bad for me, and they're bad for the people around me, if you know what I'm saying. So uh, those are some of the things I avoid. I'll return to the text here. There are so many so-called experts out there, and I am not one of them. But it was my friend, Common Sense, who advised me to avoid most of these foods. Think about it. Besides humans, do you know of any animals who drink another mammal's breast milk? What other animal eats bread, pasta, or candy bars? Our bodies are not meant to consume this junk. One can make a good argument for eating meat, but I know I feel much better without it. Uh, another side note on that, since we can just talk about this here. I, I'm not opposed. I don't think meat is inherently bad for anyone. I'm sure there are ethical reasons to stop eating meat. That isn't why I stopped. In fact, uh, a, a quick side story here. Back in 2008, maybe, Ryan and I, uh, we made a bet. I, I was trying to lose some weight and just get healthier. And and I told Ryan I was thinking about becoming a vegan for a while, testing out this vegan diet. And... He was like, what the hell is a vegan? And I just said, oh, don't worry about it, man. You could never do it. Now, Ryan is a very competitive type A person. So if you want him to do something, just say, don't worry about it. You could never do it. He's like, what do you mean I couldn't do it? Of of course I could do it. I'm going to look it up. I'm going to figure out what it is, and I'm going to do it. I'll tell you what. If if the diet was him eating just tree bark, he would have done it. And so we made a bet. We bet a dollar. And uh, for, for we, were both, we were both vegans for an entire year, uh, although he won the bet, so I, I promptly paid him the dollar. At the 11-month mark, I, I had a cup of yogurt because, man, I missed yogurt. And I can tell you, since then, I went back to fish and uh, very light dairy. I probably have dairy, I don't know, once, twice, three times a week uh, in very small amounts. I'm not drinking glasses of milk or anything like that. But... Um, uh, and again, that's just because I don't digest it very well, but also, again, the common sense. I, I don't see you know, gorillas out there drinking cow's milk. It, um, it, it just doesn't make sense to me. Uh, I'm sure you can come up with a, a good nutritional argument to combat that, but I'm saying for me, I tried to go without it. My stomach, my health felt better by going without it. And again, that's the barometer that I'm going for, what feels best to me. And so uh, when I went back, to a non-vegan lifestyle, I, I guess you could call me a, a pescatarian, and it's a clo- it's pretty close to a paleo diet. 
Uh, many of you are probably familiar with that. I certainly wouldn't. I don't have a label for my diet. I, uh, pescatarian, paleo, paleo, pescatarian is probably pretty close to that. Although I'm sure there's, I deviate from it somewhat. But the reason I didn't go back to eating meat, this is my long digression to talk about meat here, is it's no longer appetizing for me. I've tried a few times to go back to it, and it just doesn't feel good, and I, I don't like it. It doesn't taste good to me, and I've tried lots of different, you know, uh, really great, high-quality, grass-fed meats and, and farm-raised chicken and all these other things, and it just doesn't taste good to me, but fish does taste good to me, and so I w- was able to go back to that relatively easily. And so uh, the majority of, of my meat consumption comes from, from fish. All right, let's return to the text here. Our bodies are not meant to consume this junk. One can make a good argument for eating meat, but I know I feel much better without it. And feeling better is my touchstone. But Joshua, how do you get enough protein, calcium, and iron? Well, how does the world's strongest primate, the gorilla, consume enough of these nutrients? Gorillas eat eat vegetables and fruit, leaves and bananas. Many green vegetables are comprised of 20 to 45% protein. Evidence shows that we need less protein than we think. Uh, The next bullet point here, or point, paragraph, I should say, next paragraph section here is intermittent fasting. I eat two meals a day, generally no snacks, both consumed within, within an eight-hour window, usually around 11 a.m. and 6.30 p.m., and I fast during the day's remaining 16 hours between 7 p.m. and 11 a.m., consuming only water, herbal tea, or black coffee during those times. It is much easier than you think. If you want to lose weight, particularly fat, then intermittent fasting will make a drastic difference in your life. And yes, this means I skip breakfast. And uh, if, if you want, there, there's a couple good resources out there. There's a book called Eat, Stop, Eat, and we'll put that in, in the show notes as well. It's about intermittent fasting. Also, there is a, I think he's Scandinavian, a Martin Birkin. He has a website uh, called Lean Gains. Who This guy is unbelievably you know, massive in terms of like weightlifting and stuff, but the way he's so lean has to do with the, the way he intermittently fasts. He also eats a lot of stuff I would never eat, like cheesecake. But uh, he is really, really healthy and, and does a lot of uh, intermittent fasting. So I'll put some resources, or I, I should say Sean will put some resources in the show notes for us as well. So hopefully if you want to learn more about intermittent fasting, I can tell you this, I feel a lot better now. It took me about two or three weeks before I felt stopped feeling hungry in the mornings from breakfast. We used to hear this nonsense about breakfast this is the most important meal of the day. Well, that's not really what re- research will show you. You, you, you'll hear a lot of like personal trainers and stuff. So you have to keep the, the uh, meta, metabolic stove, you, know, you have to stoke that metabolic fire and uh, your stomach is, is like, you, know, you want to keep f- putting kindling on the fire. Well, here's the problem with that analogy is your stomach isn't a fire. You, your stomach is appreciably different from that. And, and the truth is the human body is set up so that we could often go days at a time without eating. And especially when, when we are in a state of ketosis, which means our, our body is, is feeding off of fat instead of uh, glucose. And so uh, we'll throw some resources in the show notes for you as well. And I've got some recommendations toward the end of this episode for you too. Uh, next section is about water, liquids, and juice. 
I drink roughly half my body weight in ounces of water each day. And I weigh about 165 pounds, so I drink 80 to 90 ounces of water each day. I'm also fond of drinking a couple powdered green drinks every day for increased vitality. So basically my energy levels, it helps out a lot. Uh, Personally, I enjoy something called Amazing Grass Green Superfood, and uh, we'll put a link to that in the show notes too. Uh, It's pretty good, especially... uh, if you blend it up with some ice and they even have like a chocolate flavored one that isn't bad. I try to just stick to the green one if possible. Maybe I'll mix a little bit of the chocolate one in. It's relatively low calorie, very low sugar, but high in a lot of vitamins. And uh, it makes me feel pretty awesome. I also own a, a masticating juicer. Um, this is from the text again. And a Nutribullet blender. Uh, so I'll definitely recommend a if you want to make smoothies at home. Uh, I use uh, a Nutribullet. Uh, We'll put a link to the one I use in in the show notes if you're interested, if you care about that. Um, I I don't like recommending physical things that much, but I get a ton of value out of of a juicer, and I use it all the freaking time. And so as many times as I've used it, it, it's, uh, man, it it was a great purchase, but only if you're going to use it. All right, return to text, both of which are great for juicing and blending fresh vegetables and fruits, directly supplying my body with the nutrients I need. Uh, Just a note on that real quick. I I tend to blend more than I juice because uh, I like to get the fiber from all the the vegetables and stuff. But if I want to juice something, I won't juice fruits because there's a lot of sugar in fruit. But if I can juice a ton of you know, kale and spinach and mint and parsley and maybe some ginger... Uh, things without very much sugar at all or no sugar, uh, it's another way to get a huge you know, burst of, of a lot of those nutrients. But if I'm going to uh, have any fruit at all, I, I try to limit even the amount of fruit that I have because of the fructose uh, that's in there. I mean, fruit by itself has a, a lot of sugar in it, much, much better than eating a candy bar for sure. But uh, don't eat a banana and think you're necessarily eating healthfully. Because, you know, a banana might have 15, 20 grams of sugar in it if it's a big enough banana. And so blending a banana and a bunch of other stuff into your smoothie, it's not necessarily healthy if it's really sweet. So I, I try to fit as many green things, like cucumbers and spinach and kale and, and ginger and maybe some garlic to throw in there if you're into that kind of thing. Uh, and then if I'm going to put some fruit in there, I, I tend to, to offer blueberries because they're relatively low in sugar when it comes to fruit, and they are very, they're a very powerful superfood. So I'll eat a lot of blueberries if I am eating fruit. I shouldn't say a lot. I'll eat some blueberries if I am eating fruit. Uh, no. Return to text. I also drink coffee, albeit appreciably less than I used to, as well as herbal tea. But I eliminated cola and all sugary liquids from my diet, including fruit juices, which contain shockingly high amounts of sugar. Yeah, if you're having breakfast and you could get that glass of orange juice, my God, that's more more sugar than you should have in a day in, in most cases. Or at least for me, I know. Like, if I get a medium-sized glass of orange juice, this is probably... 40 grams of sugar in that thing. It's unbelievable. And you're, you're getting rid of all the healthy parts of the orange too, all the, the fiber. And, and so if you're going to have orange juice, have it in its natural form, an actual orange. And I think, it, and then you of course have a, a glass of water with that. And, and so, yeah, I, I can't really caution enough that to be careful with, with the amount of sugar, but if you want all of the, the essential nutrients and, and vitamins, you want to feel vitamins, you want to feel great. Uh, blending that up in, in a sort of portable blender is, has been a great way for me to do that. The next uh, section is about supplements. 
Although I eat a large quantity of nutrient-rich foods, I find it important to take daily supplements with each meal. Uh, a multivitamin for comprehensive nutritional health, a uh, vitamin B complex supplement uh, for cardiovascular health, and fish oil, uh, which has omega-3 fatty acids for heart health. Uh, depending on your diet, you may not necessarily uh, need any of or all of these supplements, but I've noticed a considerable difference in my body after uh, experimenting with them for about two, two months, incorporating them in for about two months is what it took before I started feeling the, the effects of, of those three supplements. So hopefully that answers Alston's question about supplements as well. And there are plenty of other supplements. I'll make a recommendation at the end of this um, ab- about where you can go to check out all the other supplements you may want to consider. Next section is about exercise, but I already kind of talked about that. I'll just reiterate that I walk a lot. I try to walk 5 to 10 miles a day if I can. Uh, I live in Missoula, Montana, so the winters are make, make that a bit hard, but I'll still go to the gym and walk around the, the track a bunch of times and listen to podcasts, and I find that to be productive. It's a learning experience, but I'm also, uh, while I'm at the gym, I can do other exercises, maybe lift a few weights or, or even do some stretching for my back, which has helped out a lot. Uh, speaking of my back, let's talk about a few things I've done to help out with that. And, of course, if you have any suggestions, you can tweet me, at JFM. I, I'd love to to hear your suggestions. Here's a, a list of all the things I've kind of gone through over the last year and a half to help with my back. Uh, so not only did I go in and get a CT scan and MRI and figured out what was going on, I've had a lot of issues with my – I've sort of learned all the, the nomenclature here uh, with – with my iliopsoas muscle, that that's the, the the big culprit, I think. And so, a lot of my back pain has actually uh, transitioned to the front. It's like a pelvic pain or a groin pain, uh, which is the the iliopsoas muscle. Uh, a lot of pain in that re- region. Also, my my TFL, which is sort of the side muscle uh, near the, my left buttocks. Uh, speaking of buttocks, the glute med has been a big issue for me and, and my uh, piriformis, that whole area there. And I've also been experiencing sciatica, which had just started this year, which is not fun, waking up with just immense panic-level pain. And so, uh, again, I'm, I'm really focused on that. It's my number one focus. I spend about three hours a day doing back exercises, and I do a few different things. I do some active isolated stretching. And, and I found uh, a lot of value in that for stretching my psoas, my iliacus muscle, and, and my hamstrings, and a bunch of other muscles uh, that are all related. It's all tied together uh, to try to help ease my back pain. I've, uh, I've got a new bed, uh, a, a pretty good Tempur-Pedic bed. Uh, has helped out a, a lot because it's adjustable and, and it allows me to, to sleep in a way that would be, that doesn't make me splayed out and it helps my back relax a bit at night. Uh, but throughout the day, I'll do uh, something called a Goscu therapy. It's something I just started about a month ago, and I've seen some pretty good results, uh, especially with respect to my sciatica. So, so for those of you who don't know what sciatica is, a sciatica is, is a pinched nerve. Uh, so my where my L5 meets my S1 joint, the bottom of my back and the lumbar spine, uh, there is a nerve. If you look at my MRI, it is it's pinched. I, there's no really no no other way to say it. And that nerve channel kind of goes all the way down to your foot and big toe. And so along my shin, I get this massive pain. Along the side of my leg and my buttock, I get this terrible, just 
screaming pain, and occasionally my big toes will go numb because of that pinched nerve. Well, after doing a Goscue for about a month, for about an hour and a half a day minimum, uh, that, that pain has started to go away. I don't want to uh, pretend I'm completely pain-free. I don't expect immediate results, but I'm willing to put in the effort. And I know, I realize there are a million things I can do with respect to trying to fix my back, but for a long time, until I actually felt the pain, I wouldn't do them. So there's a big difference between what you can do and what you will do. And now that I'm in pain, of course, I'm, I'm making sure that I'm focused on, on that mobility and, and doing some exercises that get us back to our more natural state. Um, my partner's daughter, Ella, is two and a half. She'll be three pretty soon. And she moves like a normal human being does, right? She can squat in a normal squat position for an hour at a time and read a book if she wants to. I can't do that yet, uh, but I have some friends who can, and so I'm, I'm headed that direction because I'm doing these exercises every single day. I, I've, I've noticed radical improvement from where I was previously, and I hope to continue to improve. In addition to that, I've done yoga. I've done... Um, Oh man, I mean, I've done crazy stuff like acupuncture. I shouldn't say crazy. Uh, I've done things that haven't worked. Sorry. I've done things that haven't worked for me. I know people who've received a lot of relief from acupuncture, actually. Uh, Chiropractor has helped with uh, temporary relief. But again, I'm trying to address the 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 problem and not mask the the symptoms. Uh, Chiropractic helps with some of the symptoms. Some uh, massage therapy will help with the symptoms for sure. And that's great to, to ease pain in the moment, but I want the pain to go away long term. And so now that I'm focused on my health in a different way, I have a great diet, a great exercise routine. I'm in really good shape, uh, but I, my back is not in good shape. And that's what I'm really focused on right now because I want to avoid surgery. And I know that I can avoid surgery if I'm willing to put in the work. And, and uh, there are times where surgery is the only answer. And as bad as my back is right now, if you if you see me without my shirt on, you can see my L5 vertebrae poking out my back. Uh, but that, that said, I know I can fix this because there are cases of many, many people. There are examples. There are models by which I can follow. And so if you have any models that you want to recommend to me, just tweet me, at JFM. I'd love to hear uh, and see some links and maybe read about it. Uh, I, I've, I've read a bunch of books, a bunch of other things, uh, John Sarno wrote a book about back pain. Um, didn't find a lot of value in it, but someone recommended it, and I found value and appreciated the, the, the recommendation. I was willing to try it out. And at this point, I'm willing to try anything that, that helps me improve. I can tell you the thing that has helped my symptoms most is something called cryotherapy, which uh, is similar to an ice bath but with water. Uh, I'm sorry, but, but not with water, but with air. So ice bath is, is water and, and cryotherapy is with air. So getting frozen. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have a cryo chamber here in, in Missoula, Montana. So whenever I'm traveling, I will I tend to do cryotherapy whenever I can. I want to return to this, uh, to this minimalist thoughts on diet because there are a few things in here that are outside of diet um, and outside of supplements and even outside of exercise Two things that we don't really talk about much, uh, one is sleep, one is stress. Let's start with sleep. Because of diet and exercise, I need less sleep than I used to. Most mornings, I wake around 3.30 a.m. after five or six hours of sleep. Some days, however, I sleep later until 7 or 8 or 9 or 10 a.m. I let my body dictate how much, I, how much sleep I need, which happens to be far less than just a few years ago. 
It is important, however, to get as much sleep as your body requires. Operating on a deficit is unhealthy. Let's talk about that for a minute. And my life has changed since writing this essay, actually. So having a two and a half year old in the house now, she actually loves to, to sleep in most days. Although she doesn't like to sleep in on the weekends for some reason. So this morning, we're recording this on a Sunday. This morning, she was up really, really early. I don't, I don't even know what time. And, um, you know, you have to get up with when, you're, when your kids get up. And that's totally understandable. But you also have to find ways to get the sleep that you need. I took a nap yesterday. I used to be terrible at napping. But I've forced, I'm forcing myself now in, into uh, a sleep regimen that, that works best for me. I don't know what's going to work best for you. I know there are some people who can survive off of six hours a night or, or whatever. I can't do that regularly. And in fact, I wouldn't recommend it to, to anyone. But I, there are times when my body wakes up after four or five hours of sleep and it's like, I'm ready to go. Let's start writing. Let's start our morning off. And that's great. But I, I try to let my body dictate that, not my alarm clock. I love to get up really early. Um, but that also means I tend to go to bed pretty early, too. I can remember when I was living with Ryan and a guy named Colin Wright, who's a really good friend of ours. We, we first moved out to Montana to start our publishing company here. Um, we all lived in the same house for a while, and they would make fun of me because some nights I'd go to bed at 6, 6.30 at night. And that was just the way my body felt. I got tired, and I loved getting up really early in the morning. So some mornings I'd get up as early as 2 a.m., but... That was normal for me. It doesn't mean I prescribe that for someone else. Many people are night owls. Some people are, are larks. And in fact, I wouldn't try to force my creative window onto you. I, I know some people who create best after 10 p.m. at night. You need to figure out what, what is best for you and, and maybe arrange your sleep around that. And so sleep, I think, is really important. I read an article, I think it was with uh, it was either Pete Sampras or Andre Agassi. No, it was it was uh, Federer, yeah, yeah. And uh, he he said in the interview, someone asked him about how much he sleeps. He said, "If I don't get at least eleven hours each night, something's wrong." And I'm like, "Wow, eleven hours!" And he said, "Some some nights he gets more than twelve. He's sleeping for more than half the day." Now think about that. He's beating up his body all day. He is running. He's training essentially every waking hour, either training or eating, which eating is just a part of training at that point. It's giving yourself the fuel you need to be productive, right? And so sleep is so important, but it's going to, the level of sleep that you need is going to be different for everyone. There's a few sleep apps that you can get for your phone. In fact, I think the iPhone may even have one now. Uh, my partner, Becca, is, is just starting uh, a sleep app where you put your phone in airplane mode and um, put it under your pillow. You put it in airplane mode to make it easier to sleep at night. So let's talk about some things that will make it easier to sleep at night. A completely pitch black room or some sort of eye mask. I'll put in the show notes the eye mask that I use if, uh, if I can find it. Um, and some earplugs to block out sound, especially if you live right next to the train tracks like we do. Um, some earplugs are, are very helpful. Uh, and you know, some blackout curtains can be another way to, to make your room really dark. Also, have the room relatively cold. Uh, 64 degrees, I found for me, is the ideal sleeping temperature. And uh, making sure there are no uh, electronic devices or, or signals going on, so no Bluetooth. Uh, try to turn the Wi-Fi router off at night. 
Um, and also make sure your phone is not turned on near your bed at all. Put it on airplane mode for sure. And then uh, there's an app called Flux, which I know Sean's using right now on his computer. And uh, there's a similar thing for, I think the iPhone does it, and I'm sure there are similar apps for Android phones as well. But removing the blue light from your screens. I try not to look at a screen after 7 p.m., uh, sometimes even earlier than that, 5 o'clock if I can get away with it. And, and uh, if I do have to look at the screen, though, having flux on my computer or having the, the similar uh, setting turned on on my iPhone is a way for me to make sure I'm not getting those blue lights that, that uh, prevent the, the serotonin levels from uh, uh, increasing in our bodies, which help us with sleep. Uh, my partner, she has a lot of trouble sleeping. She's tried some things that have really helped her in the past. Uh, there is a magnesium uh, a powder called Calm. We'll throw that in the show notes for you as well. And um, there's a company called Onnit who makes a, uh, a sleep nootropic, uh, I believe that would be the correct term, uh, called New Mood. Uh, it's Joe Rogan's company. Uh, and that 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 one supplement has helped her, I think, more than just about anything else. That combined with calm and then everything else I just mentioned uh, can really set you up for more a more successful night of sleep. And I've seen her over the last six months of experimenting with this stuff radically change her sleep apnea, her her sleep uh, deprivation. She would often just sit there in bed and ruminate till midnight or one o'clock. And now she's able to go to sleep relatively quickly. Uh, the last thing that I talk about here is stress. We don't get stressed. We do stressed. If I were to ask you what a stressed person looks like, you'd easily be able to mimic his or her physiology. Frowning, shallow breathing, muscle tensing, etc. Once you become aware of your stressed physiological state, you can change your physiology. You can change the way you move your body to become unstressed. Nearly everyone feels stressed these days, but I am significantly less stressed than I've ever been because I make an effort to be aware of my triggers and change my physical movements accordingly. When I feel overwhelmed, I change my breathing pattern. I'll take a walk. I'll exercise. I'll look in the mirror with a big grin and I'll make sure no one's looking, and I'll jump up and down like a crazy person. Anything to get me out of that stressed state. These techniques effectively combat depression, anger, and sadness, too. So let's just talk about that stress real quick. I do feel like we're in a very stressed time. In fact, uh, when I was most, quote, successful was really the time in my life when I was most stressful. I was most stressed out as I was constantly trying to achieve, achieve, achieve. I was competing and I was attempting to do a million things all the time. Busy, 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 busy. And I was bad at prioritizing. I was bad at focus. And so really, it was to change my stress state, not only did I have to change my physiology, but I needed to change what my priorities were and what my focus was. And if I focused on fewer things, meaning having fewer priorities, that thing that I was focused on in the moment allowed me to be less stressed. And I know when I had a bunch of employees back in the corporate world, I was managing a bunch of retail stores. I would have employees uh, come to me, you know, they're melodramatic, post-teen, early 20-somethings, and 
oh my God, my life is over. My boyfriend slash girlfriend slash whomever just left me and X, Y, and Z is happening. I'm so stressed out. After we sit down and have a little talk, I'd listen. I think that that was very important. I'd say, okay, um, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go lock yourself in the bathroom for 30 seconds. No one's going to see you. Put a big, stupid grin on your face. The biggest grin you can put. A big, dumb, goofy grin that you'd make fun of if someone else had on their face. And I want you to jump up and down, flailing your arms in the mirror for 30 seconds. And then come out and tell me if you're still depressed. 100% of the time, people come out and say, I feel so much better. Oh, that's interesting. Because if you change your state, you're no longer doing stress. You're no longer doing depressed. You're no longer doing anger. Now, I get it. There are times when there's, there's such a thing as clinical depression, and that's, that, that is a real ailment. But what we, use, what we usually call depressed just means I'm sad, or I'm frustrated, I'm angry, I'm overwhelmed. And we use that word depressed instead because it's a, uh, a word with, with more gravity, with more weight. And so I find that changing our physiology is a great first step to get out of stress and then to get out of stress long term, finding ways to change what you're focused on and uh, by having fewer things to, to focus on in the first place. All right, let's end out this essay here. Most important, after changing my diet and embracing a healthier lifestyle, I feel amazing. But Joshua, your diet sounds so boring and unentertaining. I don't think so. But then again, I no longer look at food as entertainment. Food is fuel, nothing more. I can still enjoy a great conversation over a healthy meal with friends. I simply don't let the food be my source of entertainment. I enjoy the food I eat, but I enjoy the rest of my life too. Does that mean that my exact diet will also work for you? Maybe but maybe not. There's only one way to know for sure. Test it out for yourself. You can emulate my diet for 10 days and see how it makes you feel. See what aspects work for you. Or try any one aspect for 10 days. Go without sugar or bread or processed foods. Add green drink or fresh juice or daily exercise and notice the changes. I'm certain you can do anything for 10 days. See how those changes make you feel, and then adjust accordingly. Let me uh, step back from that for a second. I tend, when people ask, I tend to recommend doing it all at once because uh, it's less overwhelming. If you just want to make, if you want to make a radical change in your life, instead of uh, trying to incorporate one thing a month over the next twelve months, when you have the opportunity, because a lot of these are are changes of just abstaining from something. Uh, it becomes easier and, and for you to have strict regimented diet, exercise, routine, sleep, whatever, and then change that slightly as you move forward. You know, I've decided I want to eat chocolate on Sundays. Okay, great. Um, but, but testing something out for 10 days and then adding things slowly back in as you decide uh, is, I found to be, for a lot of people, a, a better way. Ryan has a lot of mentoring clients who come to him with this. And uh, when he talks to them about, about um, uh, th their diet, you know, often people want to make subtle changes, but it's like, how can I make massive change right now? Well, here's sort of a template. And then, of course, you can remove things as, as you go on. All right, last paragraph here. One's health is the foundation of living a meaningful life. Without your health, nothing else matters. I don't care what you eat. 
or how you exercise. I'm not looking to convert anyone to my way of eating. I don't care whether you're a vegetarian, a vegan, or a primal, paleo, whatever. None of these labels apply to my own dietary lifestyle. And arguing the particulars is silly anyway. What I do care about is how you feel. I want you to feel great so you can enjoy your life. So in our first book, Ryan and I, uh, it's called uh, Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life. We identified the five higher order values, uh, what it takes to live a more meaningful life. So minimalism for us started with the stuff, getting the excess stuff out of the way. But then we wanted to declutter other areas of our life. So it started with health. In fact, that was the first value in, in that book. And then it was relationships and passion and growth and contribution. And what we realized is that you can have four of those buckets all the way full. You can really feel like your relationships are outstanding. You can feel like you're pursuing your passion. You're cultivating a passion. You can feel like you're growing. You can feel like you're contributing to the world around you. But if you don't have your health, then you're not going to be able to enjoy those other areas nearly as much. And so we're only as strong as the weakest link of those five areas. So health is very, very important. And it starts with the diet. It starts with exercise. And it, it also moves over to your sleep, to your stress. And in a future episode, we're going to talk about mental health, or what I should really say is mental clutter, internal clutter. And you'll, you'll be able to hear from us about, about those subjects as well. Often, uh, some people will, will get upset with me because some things that I'll, I'll write about health. And um, I have an essay called uh, Health is a Vehicle, Not a Destination. And I just want to read a quick excerpt from that because I think it perfectly illustrates my views on how health is a tool, is a vehicle to get where we're going. It is not where we're going. It goes like this. We often have a misguided binary view of personal health. Case in point, a reader took umbrage with a, quote, sign in our recent essay, 11 Signs You Might Be Broke. She didn't like what we had written about health, stating, I'm normally a huge fan of The Minimalist, but this article really annoyed me just because it came across quite judgmental of sick people. The article might have been better if they'd stuck to 10 points. But, dear reader, health is the most important aspect of the whole article. Without health, we have nothing. Although, of course, health is a continuum. It is different for each of us. Personal health is, by definition, personal. The statement in the article, unhealthy equals depression, does not suggest that you should compare your personal health with everyone else's personal health. In fact, comparison in general is pernicious and should be avoided when possible. It is certainly not a judgment of anyone who's sick. Rather, we all want to be in the best possible health given our unique circumstances. For example, I broke my back while playing basketball in the 8th grade 20 years ago, and I still have a broken vertebra today, which, besides being terribly painful, significantly limits my range of motion compared to, say, a gymnast or an athlete or just your average 34-year-old guy. Hell, I can hardly tie my shoes at times. However, 
that doesn't mean I shouldn't strive to be as healthy as I can be given my constraints. In this sense, health is perspectival. And so if we want to be happy, then we all must strive to be the healthiest versions of ourselves, broken bones, sickness, warts and all. In fact, the internet is filled with shining examples of people with diseases, disabilities, and broken backs who are able to live meaningful lives because they live as healthily as they can according to their individual situations. It's also worth noting that when Ryan and I talk about health, we're not talking about vanity muscles or improved statistics or competing with others. Those are end results. Those are destinations. But health is not a destination. It is a vehicle. So, okay, maybe I'll, I'll never be able to make it to the NBA with my bad back, not to mention my mediocre ball handling skills. But that doesn't mean I should feel defeated, broke, or broken. No, it means I must take care of the vehicle I have, providing it with regular tune-ups, daily stretching, regular exercise, and occasional chiropractor visits, as well as a good diet, adequate sleep, and daily meditation, which will help me better enjoy the journey ahead. So I think that's important just to realize that, look, no matter what circumstance you're in, you can continue to improve the vehicle in which you are traveling. You can optimize the vehicle you're traveling is maybe a better way, way to look at it. No, I won't ever make it to the NBA, but that's okay. I can still play basketball, right? Especially once my back is better as I continue to work toward that. I'm constantly trying to improve. And that constant improvement is actually one of the ingredients of living a meaningful life, the growth piece of it. If we are growing, then we are living. But if we're not growing, well, we're dying. And so being willing to improve, to constantly change that state, and to optimize that vehicle called our body is, is really the best way for us to enjoy all of the other aspects of life. So I'd love to hear what you have to say. If you have a, a comment about health or diet or sleep or exercise, or some, including minimalism tips or any tips for sleep or anything else, we'd love to air those on a future podcast. Just leave us a voicemail, 406-219-7839. We'll air our favorite comments and tips on uh, the next episode. And if your voicemail is selected, we'll send you an autographed copy of one of our books, either Essential or Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life, or my personal favorite, Everything That Remains. Okay, let's move on to our hashtag Ask the Minimalists lightning round, where we answer questions from social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram, at The Minimalists, and Facebook.com slash The Minimalists. And today's question is more of a comment, but I'd like to expand on it a bit. So uh, someone on Twitter called Fancy Window. Uh, in response to the, the comment that food is not entertainment, Fancy Window says, I love what you guys do, but we disagree on this issue. I'd love to hear it, this expanded on in a podcast. Great. Well, here we are in a podcast. And I want to talk to you about food being entertainment or not being entertainment. And I, this is probably the thing that most people agree with, uh, most people disagree with me about most. And what I'm saying is food is no longer entertainment for me. 
I treated it for many years as though it was entertainment. And now I can treat the experience of the, the, the meal with someone else as entertainment or even the experience of cooking the food as a inter- way of entertaining myself. But I think entertainment shouldn't be the point here. And I have a very short essay from our book, Essential, called Food is Not Entertainment. And I'd like to read that to you very quickly. Food is not entertainment. These four words help me change my dietary mindset, which helped me change my eating habits, which helped me drop from 240 pounds to 160 pounds in two and a half years, fat to thin, unhealthy to healthy, flabby to fit. Accordingly, I no longer treat food as entertainment. Rather, food is meant to nourish. Food is fuel, plain and simple. That doesn't mean I don't enjoy food, though. I enjoy it immensely. I eat with friends. I share meals with loved ones. I drink coffee with strangers. The difference is I don't turn to food to entertain me, to comfort me, or to, quote, get me through tough times. I turn to food to power my body, to make me feel great, to keep me healthy. These things come first. And then I'm free to enjoy each meal. So I want that, uh, I want to just expand on that a little bit. One, I was uneducated on food. I thought french fries were an acceptable vegetable because they were potatoes. And I had no idea, you know, the difference between, there are basically three types of food, right? You have have carbohydrates, you have protein, and you have ketones. And and when I look at your average, healthy, extremely healthy person, they've radically reduced the, the number of carbohydrates they, they take in every single day. So that starts with sugar, and it even goes as far as rice and starchy vegetables like potatoes and things like that. But then, of course, there's, there, there are very few, if any, health benefits of eating any kind of processed foods, right, unless you're in a situation where you're starving or, or there's malnourishment or, or something like that. But if you're in a situation like, like I was, where I was just eating to pacify myself, I'd get that, that moment of what Joe Rogan calls mouth pleasure. You get that moment of mouth pleasure, and, and the consequences are just dire. And so I wanted to also talk just briefly about what uh, Misty and, and uh, Rochelle asked in their questions about uh, finding healthy food, finding a healthy diet that is also sort of cost-effective, or low-cost was the word that was used. Uh, Misty said she was overspending, and uh, Rochelle wanted to know about low-cost or budgeting for, for healthy food. And let me tell you, eating unhealthy food is always going to be of a much higher cost long-term. Not monetarily necessarily, although probably monetarily too, when you get the hospital bills from from a, a life of of poor health. I know when my mother was you know, 63 and she found out she had stage four lung cancer, that was from a life of, of poor decisions of, you know, with respect to smoking. Now, many people in her generation, she was born in 1945, many people of her generation smoked their entire lives, and a lot of them developed lung cancer because of it. And a lot of other diseases that go along with our diet, whether it's heart disease, the number one killer, um, everything from that to gout are, are, are generally because of the diet that we have. 
And so you're going to end up paying for healthy, the, the, you're going to end up paying for the food, whether it's the healthy food, you're going to pay a little bit more for up front, or you're going to pay for it with your health or your time or your life ultimately. So that's the first thing to think about. Now let's get a little more practical. When I was first simplifying my life and I was first really trying to get through the, the, my diet uh, and figure out, okay, how do I, how do I simplify this diet but still be able to afford it? Well, I was about putting a budget together. And one of the things I budgeted for was healthy food. And sometimes I had to say no to other things in my life, other material purchases. I had to find ways to reduce other expenses in my life so that I could make sure I could afford the healthiest food. And by the way, buying healthy food right now is going to save you a ton of money in the long run. So just think about that as next time you're at, at the uh, the checkout line and you have some packaged foods or whatever. Well, how could I better spend this money on on something healthy? Okay, now it's time for our added value portion of the show where we recommend something that has added value to our lives recently. And since we're talking about health, I'm going to recommend at least one podcast here, uh, Bulletproof Radio, a guy named Dave Asprey, who is, I guess you could call him a biohacker. He was significantly overweight and allergic to mold and a bunch of other stuff, and he had a lot of issues, and he radically changed his life over the course of several years. And he's written a book, I think it's called like the, the Bulletproof Diet or Bulletproof Cookbook. But he has a great podcast as well. It's called Bulletproof Radio, where he interviews a bunch of different doctors, nutritionists, etc. And, and gets their take, their expertise into the conversation. And another podcast I've really found a lot of value in, a lot of it's over my head, uh, because she gets very much into the weeds with, um, with a lot of scientific nomenclature and and what one might consider jargon, but I, I am able to tweeze out a lot of nuggets from uh, Rhonda Patrick's podcast. She's uh, uh, over at Found My Fitness is, is the name of her podcast. So you can check that out. I also recommended uh, a bunch of stuff throughout this episode, whether it was the Nutribullet or uh, some other stuff. So check the show notes for some other recommendations in there as well. I hope you find value in those show notes. And then I'm going to move on to right here, right now. This is where I get to stop talking about myself and start talking about myself some more. Um, as I mentioned, Ryan and I have a tour. We have a documentary coming out. We have a beautiful trailer for that. Our director, Matthew Vella, is a genius. You can find all the details for that, including your nearest theater over at minimalismfilm.com. We also have an awesome minimalism poster and wallpaper contest, wallpaper for like your phone and your, your computer. You can find that over at theminimalists.com slash contest. Uh, we have minimalism posters for our documentary, but also a really beautiful, simple minus sign logo that will constantly remind you that less is more. So we hope you find some value in that. That's absolutely free. And if you want to post it on social media, you'll be entered into a contest that we're, we're giving out some free books as well. Oh, and uh, while we're on tour, speaking of the tour, we, uh, we're going to do a bunch of stuff behind the scenes on, on the tour. On Facebook, we're going to give a, a bunch of updates. Um, you know, we'll, we'll write updates on Facebook, so you can follow us there, facebook.com slash theminimalists. On Instagram, we'll post behind-the-scenes photos of our tour at The Minimalists there. We're at The Minimalists on Periscope. We're going to do some 
live, I guess they call it, the kids are calling it vlogging these days, uh, whether we're in an airport or, or maybe backstage at one of our venues, we're going to do some live video over there on Periscope. And then, of course, on Twitter, we'll continue to make our smart-ass remarks on Twitter, at The Minimalists, on all of those platforms. Uh, speaking of at The Minimalists and those platforms, we have just a few more of these left. We're, we've been doing this for several months now, and I freaking love it. And thank you all for the thousands of you who have attended it's absolutely free. We're doing uh, Tuesdays with the Minimalists every Tuesday, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. And that's on Periscope and Twitter. We answer your questions live. As Ryan and I will get in a room or maybe on a beach somewhere, depending on where we are. We'll answer your questions. That's going every Tuesday until April 26th. So we have just a few of those left. Uh, I also have a writing class coming out, uh, a writing workshop, rather, June 26th. Go to howtowritebetter.org to register for that writing workshop. Seats are limited there. You can also find some details about my four-week writing class. So that workshop's one day, but I also have a four-week writing class. And if you're looking for supportive people locally, you want to connect with open-minded or like-minded people, why not go over to minimalist.org? We have 100 meetup groups in 100 different cities. And if your city isn't listed, don't worry. We have an online city where thousands of people meet, help keep each other accountable, support each other, share amazing tips and articles and a bunch of other stuff. A uh, really grassroots campaign of people trying to help each other live a more meaningful life. And finally, here are some awesome voicemail comments from some of our listeners. Hi, my name is Cindy. I'm calling from New Jersey. I'm originally from Dominican Republic, and I would like to leave a comment in regards to relationships. When I started my minimalism journey, my mom was my biggest non-supporter. She didn't understand why was I doing anything, and I tried to explain it to her and tell her, like, why she should do it, but she simply didn't agree and didn't understand with me. So because of that example, I kind of learned that you can't really explain to people or try to convince them why they should declutter and try a minimalism life. It's more with the example. Once I got rid of over 500 books I had and a bunch of essays and notes from my college years, and then I had more space in my room and I didn't have to worry about cleaning the space, and that also translated again to my wardrobe, my activities, my friends and they saw the difference but because I didn't have that much stuff in my life therefore I could dedicate my time and my money and my thoughts to other stuff like I wanted to do I like to travel I like to spend time with my friends I like to make quality time with my friends so my advice would be for those who are having people that are not supportive of their minimalism journey is not to worry about it Make sure you're focused on why you're doing it, and it will all turn out for the best. Hi, my name is Joan from Fresno, California, and um, I'd like to comment on the sentimental things. Um, 25 years ago when I got married, my parents were like, get it all out of our house, because they were still storing my sister's things from 20 years prior. So I packed it all up, the things I wanted forever, and I took my boxes with me. Everything we owned fit in a teeny little U-Haul trailer behind the Honda. And um, we moved west. And somewhere in one of our moves that we did ourselves, we lost my box of all 
of my childhood keepsakes that I had carefully chosen that I wanted to keep. Well, it came as quite a shock, and for about three months, anytime I'd think about it, I would cry. But the greatest lesson I learned from that was um, the memories are still in my heart and in my head, and sometimes I'll see an item that's like something that was in that box, and I can I can feel all those same feelings. Well, fast forward a number of years, and my parents both passed away, and we're at the house. And, um, you know, my sister just seemed to want everything. And I decided, no, the box was a good lesson. I chose a couple of really key items for me that are easy to move wherever I move, and I have them. And I remember my family through these very simple two little things. And, um, you know, I'm just really grateful that I had the box experience and it's helped me to let go of things along the way. Hey, Josh and Ryan, this is Spencer calling from the Bronx. Um, in terms of your idea that just in cases, the three most dangerous words in the English language, I found myself recently cleaning things out and found myself saying just in case a lot. And then I found a good response to that was, but actually, which is, you know, but actually, am I ever going to use this? I know I'm saying just in case, but let's be realistic about this. And I found that that made it so much easier to get rid of T-shirts and old just uh, piles of stuff that I realized I didn't actually use anymore or didn't add value to my life. All right, y'all, that's it for this episode. If you have a question for The Minimalists, give us a call, 406-219-7839. And if you leave here with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you in 167 hours. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Every little thing that you gotta have Every little thing that you gotta have You gotta reach for and you gotta grab Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it so take your eyes away, or take.